Welcome to the Basilea Hollywood Podcast, a community of friends committed to the message and practice of Jesus and His kingdom. So I am gonna I'm gonna talk for about 20 minutes uh, on some scripture. So if you've been here for a while, then you know that we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, more specifically, uh, we're, we've really been chowing down on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, as it is most famously known. Uh, so Jesus is probably most famous teaching, and maybe some of the most famous teaching just in history. Um, and to make a long story short, uh, I was originally going to preach on chapter 7, and, uh, and then Susan and I ended up going out of town, and so schedule got kind of, and then so that's why we're backtracking today uh, to finish chapter 7, which is really uh, the bookend of, uh, of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And I got to be honest, when I was reading through this, it's, it's one of those things that I, you know, as a pastor, it's like you kind of wish it wasn't in the, in the Bible because it's like hard to talk about and you don't want to talk about it, it's uncomfortable. But um, I'd be, de- be doing you a disservice by just glancing over the hard stuff. Um, so, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. If you need a Bible, just go ahead and raise your hand, and I will give you one right now. It'll happen, Okay. If you have scripture memorized, that's great. Um, if you have it, have it on digital format, on a smartphone, go ahead and use that too. We're going to see it on the screen. And uh, You know, if we could actually all stand and read this together. It's a lengthy text. And I'm going to do my best to talk about it in 20 minutes or less. So I'm just going to set my alarm here. Chris, can we get that text up there? Okay. So we're just going to read this together, okay? And if you want, we can, we can do this tender as well. Here we go. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
Therefore, by your fruits, you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Would you pray with me? Lord, speak to us. Would you cut through um, all of the unnecessary baggage that we bring? And would you just help us to hear your word directly in our hearts, Lord, and give us the courage to do what you say. In the name of Jesus, amen. You can be seated. So this is a giant text. There's so much we could say. We're not going to say everything. <laughs> we don't have time. But um, when I was talking to Bill, who's also on the teaching team, if you didn't know, he's just right here. Can you raise your hand, Bill? This is Bill. Uh, Bill, was, Bill asked me a question. He's like, so, okay, are you going to talk about the spicy meatball? I said, I knew what he meant. Um, and I said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to talk about it. So I'm going to talk about the spicy meatball. Um, you know, maybe there's more than one, but uh, specifically, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay. Uh, so let's let's just do a quick, context, what the heck is Jesus talking about? Okay. Um, so like I said, this is, this is the last part of chapter seven. Jesus is bookending his teaching in chapters five through seven, uh, his sermon on the Mount. Okay. Uh, so the, the words, his words, his teaching that he's referring to um, are that. And we're going to do a quick recap of what he said in his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? Uh, don't hold a grudge. 
make things right. Don't use your imagination to reduce people to body parts. Don't use divorce as a cover for selfishness. Do what you say. If someone hurts you, the you is missing, sorry. If someone hurts you, don't hurt them back. Love your enemies and pray for them. Don't do religious slash good things to impress others. Forgive. Live for God and not money and or stuff. Make God's agenda, being the kingdom, the most important thing in your life. Priority one. Take a hard look in the mirror before you try and help someone with their sin. Pray persistently. Trust that God is a giver of good gifts. Actually, do you mind taking that down for a second? Thanks. So, this is sort of the gist of what Jesus said, okay? Now, I'm going to say a few things and, and then be done, okay? Uh, just to be totally honest with you, uh, so I didn't grow up in church, okay? Um, but I have been walking with the Lord for, I don't know, 15 years-ish, something like that. So it's, it's been a while, a good chunk of my life. And as a Protestant, I always thought that for the most part, the reason Jesus gave these teachings on the Sermon on the Mount was not to show me how to live as, uh, as a follower of him, but more so to show me that the standard by which he calls me to live is, uh, is way higher than I can reach. Therefore, this stuff, it's very nice, but it's impossible. I can't do it. And therefore, it is irrelevant to my life. I, and the point is to make me more reliant on Jesus uh, and his grace and being saved. And, um, and I will have a, a place for me, you know, when I, when I die and I go to heaven. Um, for me, that's been just sort of the default I guess. And um, 
based on what Jesus is saying, I don't think that's a right interpretation. And here's why. Most of evangelicals would say that heaven is a place you go when you die. When, in contrast, when you read Jesus and his words and you read the rest of the New Testament, uh, the way heaven is talked about is not a place you go when you die, but rather heaven as the dynamic rule of God coming to earth. So like when Jesus, you know, in his main message uh, in chapter 4, verse 17, when he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And when Jesus teaches us how to pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when you read about the end of time in the book of Revelation, we don't read about people going to some other place, some heavenly abode, but rather heaven coming to earth. So, all that to say, I think Jesus is actually asking us to do what he asked us to do. And let me just quickly read this part of the text again. So Jesus is saying that at the final judgment, there will be people who thought that they knew Jesus, thought they had a relationship with him, thought they followed him, and will be really surprised because Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. And they're like, wait a second, wait a second. We, we did stuff for you. We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did miracles in your name. Like we saw people healed and we did it all in your name. <laughs> And he will say, I never knew you. So Jesus seems to equate knowing him, loving him, with doing what he says. How do you know Jesus? How do you love Jesus? Obey his commands. And this isn't uh, sort of a one-off thing that we find in Scripture, for example, when you go to the Gospel of John, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. So for Jesus, there seems to be this um, sort of equation of loving Jesus, following Jesus, knowing Jesus equals obedience to Jesus. And I think sort of the... Um, the underlying word I think he's saying is don't be deceived because we can deceive ourselves. 
we can hear his words and his teachings and not do it, not obey, not follow him, and think we're like the bomb Christian, you know? And what's interesting is that it doesn't even sound like Jesus is disputing the claims that, you know, the miracles and the, and the power stuff happened, you know? But Jesus is saying, um, to love me, to know me, is to hear my words and to obey. Because we can hear, but there's a difference between just hearing and actually putting them into practice. So we can deceive ourselves. And secondly, Jesus talks about uh, watching out for false prophets. So a prophet basically is someone who um, delivers a message from God. Okay, it's like sort of, um, sort of a mouthpiece for God. And Jesus said that, well, he warns us to watch out for false prophets. And there are people who are all about the glory and the power and, and the miraculous and all that stuff, but may not have any sort of, uh, well, Jesus says, you know, how do you discern whether someone is, is speaking from God or not? How do you discern whether someone is of me or not? And he says, you can tell by their fruit. If someone's a false prophet, their fruit stinks. They've got stinky fruit. And, and again, it's like, okay, what is Jesus talking about? What is, what is the fruit? What's the good fruit that he's talking about? He's referring back to his words, to his teaching, to the stuff that we just recapped. So there are many people, and I, I don't think I need to explain because it's just sort of common knowledge. There are false teachers, false prophets all the time, everywhere, who even claim to be of Christ and to do things in his name. And they don't, well, they have stinky fruit. And what I mean is that uh, they do not, let's say, for example, uh, forgive. That's not a part of, it's like, who the heck cares about that? <laughs> you know? Um, they don't actually follow Jesus by obeying him. And raise your hand if you've, if you've been through a, like a church split. Yeah. And those can be extremely painful, right? And a lot of times, um, you know, you've got one guy over here, one leader, one pastor, whatever over here. God is saying this, da-da-da, and, uh, you know, come follow me. And then you've got people over here. And there's just like, so this idea of following Jesus or being a Christian with the posture of what's in it for me, um, it's not going to lead us to a good place, right? But the posture of surrender to God is really what he's looking for. Now also in, um, actually I'm going to read a quick story. 
So this guy named Francis McNutt has prayed for thousands of people. He's prayed for healing for thousands of people. Okay? And this is a short story, a very quick story that he tells about forgiveness. Um, He said, I remember being asked by a woman to pray for an inner healing. So in other words, um, an emotional healing. When we talked about her childhood, she indicated that her deepest problem in unreasoning hatred of men, including her husband, went back to the harsh treatment and derision that her brothers had heaped upon her as a little girl. Before praying for inner healing, I asked her to forgive her brothers. This she refused to do. I told her that this would block any healing. She still refused. When I asked her why she hung on to her resentment, even though it was even though she was being destroyed by it, she thought for a while and then replied that if she forgave her brothers, it would take away her last excuse for being the harsh kind of person she was. She could no longer blame them. After praying for a short time more, she realized how contrary this was to her Christian commitment and to her professed desire to be whole. With tears, she forgave her brothers as best as she could, and then she actually did receive the deep healing that she was seeking. God is good, and he loves us, and he, his plan is to restore us as whole human beings as he restores this world. And so it, it's not like God is saying, here, here's a, here's a new list of stuff to do. That's not what it's about. It's about our hearts being in a posture of surrender to Jesus, okay? And... Jesus died to forgive us, right? So that we can extend that same grace, that same forgiveness to other people. But I, personally, I don't like that message. That's not fun. I'd rather stay angry. But it's interesting how when we hold on to anger, it doesn't just go away. It actually takes root in us. And it grows, and it becomes bitterness and resentment, and it actually eats away at our soul. So Jesus is actually asking us to step into things, to do things that are actually beneficial to us. (laughs) It's kind of genius. Now, if you're like me, then... Maybe you're thinking about Jesus' teaching and you're like, well, that's, this is nice, you know. Uh, but it's impossible. Like, I can't do that. Maybe I've tried and uh, it's, it's like, it's out of my reach. And the good news is that it's not. Uh, going back to the verse we read in John, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. So Jesus is asking us to take the posture of 
you can have whatever you want. You can have whatever you're like. My right to hold a grudge and to be unforgiving, I, I surrender that to you. Now, if I'm honest, uh, like I said, I, I don't want to forgive people. It's not natural. It's not like, it's not fun. So usually for me, uh, the prayer is something like this. Uh, you know, when someone's hurt me, Lord, so-and-so hurt me. This is how I feel. Um, I'm really angry at them. And I, I don't want to forgive them. But I know it's what you asked me to do. So please help. See, if we ever move out of the posture of relying on God and his power to help us, then it just becomes rules. It just becomes a law. It just becomes something we can't actually engage in. So Jesus bookends his teaching with, uh, which is what I think gives his teaching teeth. Um, if you hear my words and don't obey, don't put them into practice, it's like you're building a house, but on a crappy foundation, and one day it's going gonna, it's gonna to crash, it's going to come crashing down. But if you hear and you put my words into practice, you're going to be building your house on a firm foundation. Uh, N.T. Wright, he's one of the, the leading New Testament scholars of our day. He says, once we see this larger picture, we can see more clearly of what Matthew wants us to pick up here. This is a message for all of us. If we build our lives on Jesus' teaching, we will be a part of the house that lasts forever. And then he poses a question, what sort of houses are we building today? Then in our own lives and in our churches, are we doing Jesus' words or only reading them, hearing them and thinking how fine they are? Let's stand and would you pray with me? So come Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.
What kind of house are we building? So we'll just wait for a minute or two. Just ask the Lord, what are you saying to me, Lord? What are you doing? Where do I start? <laughs> 